Most people have no idea how programmed they have been around cannabis because they think that the last 80 to 100 years of history is pretty much all there is, right? Cannabis was nothing. It wasn't even around. Then it was, and then it started, here's your brain on drugs, say no to drugs, right? All these kind of things. And it's just as bad as heroin and cocaine, right? That's kind of like the top level of like programming. What's the one thing, the one thing that if dove into fully, maybe not completed, but if dove into fully with body, heart, mind and soul has the potential to change everything. Now, deep down, we all know what that thing is. Might take some meditation, might take some quiet time to arrive at it because so often we tend to hide, escape, turn a blind eye to that one area of life that we know if we approached it with full, full commitment, everything in our life would change. How we relate to ourselves, how we relate to our intimate partner, how we relate to the world and our family, how we approach our work, how we experience greater levels of health, the one thing in having clarity of that is an absolute superpower. And it's something that typically every six months to one year, I spend dedicated time on getting clear on and focusing on that as the catalyst for the next evolution of Mike. And this is something that we focus on in my new program, The Path to Inspired Action, which is a program for 12 exclusive men. It's a virtual program. So no matter where you are around the world, you can get direct group and one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you're interested in this, go ahead and click the link in the show notes because we're kicking off beginning October and I'm looking for the most dedicated, committed men who want to show up for themselves and the people they care about in the world. And we're going to support you along the way. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we've got Ryan Sprague. Now, Ryan is a cannabis coach and the creator of the incredibly popular certification program called Connect with Cannabis. And in today's podcast, we go over the stigma that has surrounded cannabis for so long, how you can develop a healthier relationship with it, dosaging recommendations, how cannabis interacts with other plant medicines. And you will hear firsthand not only Ryan's depth of knowledge, almost like a scientist on this stuff, but also the heart-centered wisdom that he brings and just the sheer passion and excitement to support people along their cannabis journey. I can't wait for you to listen to this show. Let's get into it. The experience that you guided, Lauren, myself, and then a group of people at Chris's retreat was still hands down the most profound experience we've had with cannabis and one of the most profound just ceremonies where you integrated music and breath work and quality cannabis and guided imagination. And so I'd love for you just to start because that was such a different experience than I've ever had connecting with cannabis. Mm. And so if you don't mind just briefly sharing, what did you guide us through and what was the intentions behind that ceremony that you led me and the others through? Mm, dude, this is a great question. I actually refer to this event a lot because it was also when I discovered like 
the power of medicine combined with breath work, right? I had done plenty of breath work on my own in a sober state of reality. And, you know, for anyone who's done breath work, you know the power of it, right? But, you know, that was the first time that there were a lot of things that made that event, as I think back on it, like as powerful as it was, right? We had just gone through a men's retreat, you know, like we had had all this like, you know, brotherhood built up. Then, of course, all the women come in. We had this beautiful party the night before. Everyone truly connected. And then that day, we had had a lot of, let's just say, fun things going on. We had all done yoga in the sun. There may have been some medicines that make you giggle a lot going on, right? And so I remember talking to Matt Bundy about like hosting a cannabis ceremony. And it's funny to think back to that because that type of ceremony, like that, that modality is now in the Connect with Cannabis program as called Blistening with Cannabis, right? And I always tell all my students, like, that was really what started it all for me, you know, that whenever you have a, a purpose or something that is part of your legacy or mission or dharma, whatever you want to call it, you'll start noticing it because it'll probably be the thing people ask you for that you feel like, why are, what? Like, huh? Like, so earlier that year, I had been going to Mark England's house, things like that. And, um, and people have been asking me like, because I burn my cannabis around and I would always speak about it even before this is like what I did for my career. And because um, it was my career in the past too, just in a different way, right? I worked at a dispensary, grower, things like that. So people would ask me, oh, could you host a ceremony? And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> what I thought up was, I was like, well, cannabis really helps music, right? And music and cannabis act as carrier waves for emotion. And then I thought about one of my own personal challenges in life, which is, you know, I get stuck in my head, right? And for men specifically, this is a big challenge, but women have it too, for sure, right? We're all creatures of habit. We all have been trained to go from intellect, right? And things like that. And so what I found through this modality that I now call listening with cannabis is that when I would, and it also helps that like, I know you guys really well, right? I had known everyone that was there. We're all in a very similar music. So for me, what I found was that when I listen to certain music interacting with cannabis, I can have certain emotions come up that, Maybe I'm not perfectly okay with coming up when I'm in a sober state of reality. Maybe there's like some unconscious things blocking me from feeling certain things, you know, certain parts of me that I've reclused away from, you know, things like that. And so that day, I had felt so much like connection between all of us, right? And I really wanted us to celebrate not just ourselves, but each other as well for not only doing the work, but also like, look around, like, this is fucking awesome. You know, like if this... If the law of resonance is true, right? That you your vibe attracts your tribe, as we hear these days, right? And then you can look around and see those people there and realize like, well, if those are the people that are around me, then I must be pretty fucking cool too and <laughs> vice versa, right? And allowing everyone to be able to settle into that and realize like, holy shit, guys, pat yourselves on the back. Like, we're doing fucking great if this is what we're vibrating to. Like these types of events, this type of connection, real brotherhood, real sisterhood, et cetera. And so... I had brought you guys through four songs. And at the end, I remember, I think that was the time that Benjoy actually had a pretty good release too. I'm pretty sure that was the same thing. It might've been, I know it was the same retreat. It might've been a different ceremony. But I remember afterwards, I just felt this unbelievable connection. Like I felt like, just like, I felt like we were one. And, and so I had just learned from Paul that harmonizing trick. You know, the, the you breathe in as your hands go up when you're holding hands with everyone and you ohm on the way down. Mm -hmm. And so I remember saying like, guys, you know, let's just, let's rip a couple ohms together, <laughs> you know? And so we all hold hands. It was like 20 of us. It was a pretty big group. And we all hold hands. We do the ohms. Everyone's like, wow. And then Robbie Jack and I, that whole men's retreat, he had just found breath work. I had just started practicing it like often. And so 
him and I had been sneaking away the entire retreat to just go rip rounds of this style I call DMT breathing, right? Very quick, 10 breaths, hold, lock, pop and lock it, squeeze it, and just you get like a nice little boost, right? And so him and I had been practicing it all week. And so at the end, I was like, oh, guys, we should finish this out with some breath work, right? Then as we're doing it, I had no idea of what was going to happen next. But then what happened was because of the certain medicines we were connecting with, which, spoiler alert for everyone who wasn't there, you won't know the full details, but it wasn't just cannabis. Uh, there might have been something else included. But, but what happened was all of a sudden, all 20-something of us had the exact same experience at the same time, which was we left our body, we didn't know where we were, and then we came back in and everyone would start laughing at the same time. And that then started like the hypothesis as we kept going deeper, like, what is happening? Why does everyone come back laughing? And I remember it was me, Eric Blackwell, Danny, you might've been there too, I forget, you know, the, the memories are a little hazy, but you know, there was a certain number of us that had kept doing it over and over. Like, what is this feeling of laughter that we're getting? And the best excuse or like the best um, uh, kind of like reason we could come up for was that we were all realizing what a trick it was to fear death, right? That we were going through almost like a, a DMT experience because endogenous DMT is produced in your body in one sense by breathing, right? So like, you know, considering the medicines we were on, considering that interaction, considering cannabis produces melatonin in the brain, melatonin is also a precursor for DMT, like all these things interacting translated into a very profound experience, a transcendental experience. And so that's really what was going on that day. That was a lot of what I was thinking in terms of like my, my intention for that experience was to like to really feel even more connected to everyone there. And I remember, dude, like, you know, I was tearing up the entire time. Everyone was tearing up like we were hugging it. It was just one of those experiences, man, that sticks out of my memory. And I literally tell that story all the time from the angle of like, that's when I discovered breath work with plant medicines. But I've, I haven't got to tell that story from the angle of like another person being there and us reflecting on that. So I really appreciate you asking me that question, man. It's super fun to think back on. <laughs> oh man, it was one of the most enjoyable, heart-opening experiences. And then to do that with my partner, uh, who is, mm. you know, just my partner at the time. Now she's my wife. Like it brought us so much closer together. We had our own individual experiences. Then we had our experiences together. And then we had our experiences with the collective group there. Mm. And it was just beautiful, man. So thank you so much for leading that. And you had said something earlier that I think is really important. So not too long before this podcast, I was doing a coaching call with a potential client and this man is going to have a baby. And he had said something that I think resonates so strongly with me now being a new father and what you just shared or one thing that you shared with what cannabis when approached in this way that you're going to be sharing today can really help us connect to. And he was sharing something around feeling this upper limit around joy and fulfillment. Like there's almost fear of, of experiencing that fully. And what we were diving into during the call and during the session was the avoidance or the escaping from some of the shadow side of stuff, the, the fears, the doubts. And what I was sharing with him, and it was appropriate for the conversation, was you know, his ability, my ability, your ability, our ability to be with, most importantly, be with the depth of those emotions can allow us, if we think of it like a polarity, can allow us to actually break through what's a ceiling on the other side. And having that experience with cannabis and being with the depths of the sadness, depression, grief, fear, whatever it is that's come, those blocks, being mm. with that and letting those, nourishing those feelings 
On the other side of that, there's the opposite polarity as well. And so that was one thing that I really experienced and that as I was doing the coaching session, it was very evident. And what I'm finding, and I'd be very curious to hear your experience, Mm. from my understanding and my experience with cannabis, you know, as you already know, like I was a competitive athlete for most of my life. And it wasn't until I started working with Paul Check and really seeing firsthand this this different way of relating with these different medicines and and how therapeutic and how healing they could be because up to that point my buddies in high school would would smoke and stuff and I would just see the shadow side of it this disconnecting they looked tired slow I was like I don't want to fucking be drained or just like <laughs> not be able to respond or engage with life and so my experience with cannabis was one of what I saw of as an escape And so I always shunned away until I started seeing the ritual that can be combined with it. And I do believe in my experience, that experience and that viewpoint of cannabis, that stigma was a blocking factor for me engaging with it in a therapeutic way. So what are some of the stigmas that you see when people are first interacting with cannabis or if they've been using it maybe recreationally? What are some of the stigmas around cannabis? Mike, this is a great question because one of the things I love to do is smash stereotypes, right? And like Paul's a great example of this, right? Like when you meet Paul, he's an extremely big intellectual. He obviously runs a very successful business and not just that, but he's created an entire movement that has changed the entire scope of holistic health, physiology, right? Like all these realms, right? And yet he's a very big cannabis lover. He's a very big tobacco, you know, lover. He's a very big um, plant medicine enthusiast and proponent. And so I love being able to like smash those stereotypes because for a lot of people, they've learned they, that most people have no idea how programmed they have been around cannabis because they think that the last 80 to 100 years of history is pretty much all there is, right? Cannabis was nothing. It wasn't even around. Then it was. And then it started, here's your brain on drugs say no to drugs, right? All these kind of things. And it's just as bad as heroin and cocaine, right? That's kind of like the top level of like programming, right? Now, a lot of people these days are starting to leave that. Like they don't believe cannabis is going to destroy your brain. They don't believe it's like, you know, a lot of the things that was said to be in like the 80s with the just say no campaign and things like that. But nowadays there's more subtle things, right? So a lot of people on one side, right? Let's say the people that don't support cannabis or don't consume it, I talk to a lot of those people too. And what they always say is, oh, well, I don't want to be lazy, right? And I'm like, well, who makes you lazy, right? Are you saying that an external influence is dependent on who you are? Because that would be completely different than how I view reality, right? How I choose to view reality, which again, everything is subjective. There is no objective reality. So everyone gets to choose how they view reality. And with great power comes great responsibility, right? And I think a lot of people have failed to understand the great responsibility that comes along with believing certain things because abracadabra, if you believe it, right, it will come true. And the challenging thing with belief systems is they're yours, right? So if you don't want to go against them, you'll keep them, right? And who knows what will happen. And so at the end of the day, the biggest ones I see are cannabis makes you lazy, right? And the big thing that I say about that is that It's not that cannabis makes you lazy. Ultimately, you make you who and what you are and how you show up in the world. That's like the base level thing. But to go a level deeper, one of the things that people fail to understand about cannabis is that it is a feminine plant. And why that is important to understand in the scope of this conversation and this topic in this conversation is because it's feminine energy, 
right? So if we, whether we're male, female, whatever gender we choose to be, if we do not provide a masculine component of energy to equalize that equation, then it's all too easy to get consumed by the feminine energy and love it. But then after, when we have a task of things that didn't get done, blame the plant, right? And just externalize our power. And so what I always say is that by providing intention to the experience, right? That's like the first step to being able to be conscious because now you have something you're actually going there for and you have a result that you're looking for. And you're curious, you're aware of all the things coming into the experience. Nothing is going to be missed now, right? Well, I shouldn't say nothing. You can always miss things, but you're not going to be purposely missing things because you think this is just something to smoke and have fun and watch movies, right? Which again, there's no judgment around that, right? It's just simply like, wouldn't you want your whole life to benefit as a result, right? So that's the whole lazy part. The next thing I see is cannabis makes you anxious or paranoid, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is kind of a multifaceted issue. And what I'll say on this, on the, on the first part, is that cannabis works as a mirror, right? So all plant medicines work in this way or have the opportunity to work in this way. And this is where, again, it takes great responsibility to handle this great power because most people don't even know what shadow work is right? Mm -hmm. they, they have no idea. Like, Mike, we exist in a bubble, right? The people listen to your podcast, people listen to my podcast, like we're in on this stuff. You know, it's kind of like how most people just drive a Honda Accord. Some people like to build race cars. We don't know why, <laughs> just some people do, right? <laughs> we happen to be the race car drivers when it comes to the human soul mechanic, you know, work, right? And so like, you know, at the end of the day, we're into this stuff. But for most people, they don't understand these types of things. But if they, if they do, it can at least give them something to work with this, right? Because it's not that cannabis makes you anxious or paranoid. It's that with, with the human experience, there's a lot in the unconscious and the subconscious that is controlling our lives and we are unknowingly calling it fate, right? Just like Carl Jung says, until you take the unconscious into the conscious, it will run your life and you'll call it fate, right? And so most people have no idea that's happening. Then let's say one of these people connects with cannabis and all of a sudden their heart starts racing, right? And they start having stinking thinking come up, right? And they're like, oh my God, I'm never doing this again. This was the worst experience of my life. Well, they missed the mark, right? The reason that was the worst experience in their life is because they think cannabis caused that. Mm -hmm. So the solution to that is no more interacting with cannabis. But, and, and, and I'm not gonna say that that's not a good conclusion. Like maybe sometimes cannabis isn't right for you, right? But at the end of the day, that plant gave you an opportunity to look into aspects of yourself that maybe you're really good at numbing away or keeping yourself too busy to notice or these kind of things, right? With the opportunity to actually go, okay, cannabis, what do I do about this? Where does this come from? You can have a dialogue with this plant, right? And that's a lot of what I teach is like to have an intimate relationship with this actual living entity, right? And for a lot of people, that's very qualitative. Like, oh, what? You're going to tell me cannabis is alive and it's real? It's like, yes, everything has consciousness, right? The same way ayahuasca does or wachuma does or any of these medicines that more people are open to hearing have a spirit to them, cannabis does too. And she can be a spicy meatball, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know? So, so again, like that's some of the most common things I see. Now, the reason I said it was multifaceted when it comes to anxiety and paranoia is there's another thing that is even more qualitative in nature. And it's starting to get a lot more traction now. I started talking about it, I mean, arguably like eight years ago, but now it started, I'm starting to see more people talking about it. And it makes sense with the rise in consciousness happening, things like that, which is that most cannabis is being factory farmed, mm -hmm. right? So what do we know about the meat industry, right? What is pretty open 
um, and out there with regards to information surrounding meat. Well, they say if these animals are raised in a caged environment, in a horrible environment, and they are scared and they have stress in them and all of these things, and then we eat that meat, we are then eating that stress, that anxiety, et cetera, and it's impacting our being, right? So plants work in a very similar way, especially when you're talking to plant medicines, right? Like, like medicines that can open up consciousness and have a dialogue with you. Like, you know, they really enjoy being grown in the ways that nature intended. So when you're looking at a lot of these big dispensaries, right, that are growing under artificial grow lights with no EMF mitigation, right? Or EMF harmonization, like biogeometry. When you're looking at most of the people that control a lot of these big dispensaries, right? I won't mention any names, but I'm sure anyone listening can, you know, put two and two together. So like any of these big MSO, multi-state organizations, any of these organizations, what is the intention of them creating that business? Is it to bring the medicine of cannabis to people to alleviate human suffering? Or is it to make money and have a business model? Now, it's not to say that you can't have a business model and make money for selling cannabis, right? Like, you know, I don't think anyone should work for free and doing what they do. It's a lot of work, right? But it just means like, you know, if your intention is solely based on money and that's as deep as it goes, your medicine is going to reflect that because it's not going to have the love that someone who's truly aware of what cannabis is and its place in society and its place in the scope of the universe, you know, it's not going to have as much love as someone like that cultivating your plant. And that's why I'm such a big fan of cultivating your own cannabis because then it gives you uh, um, one less out if you experience anxiety or paranoia, right? It's going to be very hard for you to say, oh, well, it's the place that grew it. Well, no, you grew it, right? So what can that tell you about your own energy, right? And these kind of things. So that's why that issue is a little multifaceted. But I say that because those are probably like anxiety, paranoia is the number one thing. Laziness is number two. The other things go into um, things that are less common these days. I would say like one of the other things that's actually pretty funny to talk about is that cannabis causes cancer. That was one that's kind of died out um, over the last, like I'd say, 20 years. But there's, there's still people that believe that. Now, not only does cannabis not cause cancer, right? It actually can cure cancer. And this is one of those things that a lot of people, when they hear, they get a lot of upregulated, like the kids said it, you know, type thing. <laughs> but there's actually, there's actually PubMed studies now uh, articulating this. And the reason I know this is because my work in this industry started with helping cancer patients with RSO remediate their cancer, right? Now, what I want to make sure everyone knows is this is not saying that you can smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol every night and be a shitty person and eat terrible food. And when you get cancer, you just take a bunch of cannabis and it cures everything. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that if with cannabis, you can open up awareness as to some of the things in your life that are blocking you, and then also on the more physical side, allow THC to kill your cancer cells and CBD to inhibit their growth, which is on the physical side, the more quantitative side, what cannabis does. But then this whole other side of the spiritual side where you start realizing like, man, maybe I'm being a dick, you know? Mm. Maybe I'm not treating myself with love. Maybe I never learned how to love myself because my parents never learned to love themselves, right? And then I learned that from them, right? Like these kind of things are also what come out because cancer, as I understand it, and I won't dive super deep into this, I'm not an expert in this, but it, you know, uh, from the shamans I've spoken to and et cetera, all these types of individuals that are more qualitative in nature, cancer comes forth as your body's last ditch effort to basically say things are off in here, right? And, and that's where like, you know, disharmonization takes place. And so when you start illuminating what is creating that lack of harmony and you start remediating that, why wouldn't that start to have some type of effect? Now, 
for people listening, I also did this with my father, right? Now, my father was not someone who was going to quit smoking cigarettes and doing the things that gave him cancer in the first place. He also had small cell carcinoma, stage four, right? Terminal diagnosis, brain, lymph nodes, lung, everything, right? So when I was giving him RSO, that was all he was doing. He was drinking more water, trying to eat a salad here and there, but like that was the brunt of it, right? And so when his scans were coming back, his tumors had, sh- had slowed their growth about 75% every scan we got back. And what that translated to was 10 extra months with my father before he passed away, right? And so like for anyone listening, I know this can be a gigantic red pill and I do recommend go do your research, right? Don't believe what I said just because I said it, right? But, you know, this is one of the things that I talk about a lot about with cannabis because that is another one of the things that isn't as popular these days, but definitely has been one of the rumors that I like to put to bed for sure. Hey, man, I super appreciate you <laughs> sharing that because that that's one that's fascinating and I don't know what the statistics are now, but the last time I looked, I think it's like 50% of the population, something like, or one in three, one in two will develop some form of cancer in their life. And it's, the statistic continues to uh, unfortunately not move in a positive direction. And so I would almost be willing to bet that every single person listening to this has either experienced it or know someone in their immediate circle or one degree removed, two degree removes of someone who has cancer. And so mm-hmm. uh, I know multiple people, um, and we'll bring up names, but it's a very, let's just say, near and dear um, thing to my heart. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that. And there was something that you shared that I would love to hear your take on. Let's do this. I'd be curious on how you might compare another medicine that maybe not everyone has tried, but it's maybe one of the ones that oftentimes is used if used in a recreational setting and maybe in a ceremonial setting, and that's mushrooms. Mm. In my experience, when it comes to like ayahuasca, typically it's with a shaman, typically it's in a ceremonial mm-hmm. setting. Uh, a bogue is a big, like that's a massive thing. You <laughs> definitely should get some, some yeah. guidance on that. But yeah. <laughs> how does an experience with cannabis, how is it similar or different than for, in your experience than mm. a mushroom journey, for example? This is absolutely amazing. So Mushrooms, what I feel is that there's a presence that is taking you on a journey. Like they have, like you'll create your intention, but they're like, all right, this is how we're going to show it to you. Mm. Versus with cannabis, it kind of just illuminates like you have a lot of area to look into. What's resonating? It kind of gives you the ability to go where you want to go. Like I'm feeling this feeling in my body, but I'm also getting these thoughts. But I'm also starting to notice my room is really messy and I want to clean that. Like, so you kind of have a choose your own adventure type thing. Whereas with mushrooms, and of course the amount of mushrooms or cannabis definitely matters in this conversation. But generally speaking with mushrooms, unless you're microdosing or something like that, typically you're going to be getting brought on a journey, right? And what I mean by that is like, you can be laying down, you can start laughing, right? You're like, oh my God, this is really funny. And all of a sudden you start heaving and sobbing. You're like, okay, this isn't so fun anymore, right? And then like, then a moment later, you could be like just staring at the wall trying to process what just happened. Then all of a sudden you get brought to a memory, right? So they're like guiding you on the journey versus with cannabis, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure type thing. There are a lot of quests you could take, right? Kind of like at the beginning of Pokemon where they're like, do you want this Pokemon, this one, or this one to start with, right? You can choose your own adventure, right? Versus like, hey, you're getting Pikachu and that's who you start with, right? That was kind of the difference between like the original Pokemons, like red and blue versus Pokemon yellow, right? And so like, that's a really good example of how like these differ. When I was connecting with mushrooms in this experience, I had this very interesting idea and feeling intuitively that they are almost androgynous. They are above duality. And so that was another way that now I personally 
frame medicines like cannabis or aboga versus mushrooms. Now, again, for anyone listening, this is just my theory. You can take it or leave it. But that was something that um, I really noticed was prevalent in my experience. And then the journey thing was like the second thing. You know how they take you on a journey. Um, you can kind of just lay down and know that you're going to end up exactly where you're supposed to end up. Whereas with cannabis, like you might need to go grab a journal. You might need to rip some breath work. You might need to have a conversation, right? Like, you know, it's a little more like involved or active, if you will. Those are what I would say, like the main differences that come to mind right away. Oh, that's fascinating. And I'm mm. curious on with different shamans that I've worked with. I don't know if you've had this experience, but on more than a handful of occasions, especially, yeah, especially with ayahuasca, I guess you could say either a contra, not contraindication, but there's a suggestion mm -hmm. to avoid specifically cannabis afterwards mm -hmm. or before. And I'm curious, have you heard that? Do you have any insight in why they give that recommendation? And, and what, what might you be able to provide to myself and, and those listening? Definitely. Dude, this is a great question also, um, because I recently dove in with Hamilton Souther about this. Um, him and I have nerded out a lot about this subject. And so basically, and I also nerded out with this guy, Carlos Tanner, who runs the Ayahuasca Foundation, um, also, I believe, in Peru. Um, and so I have kind of like two differing views on it, right? Carlos is more like traditional, right? I think he trained with the Shipibo. And so he's like, hey, we ask you to do a dieta from cannabis beforehand, um, aka a break. We ask you to not interact with it maybe a month after. And his reasoning was basically very similar to what Hamilton said. He's like, you know... At the end of the day, it's not that cannabis is objectively like terrible to do with ayahuasca. It's just that these tribes, cannabis is not native to them. They don't know how to work with it. And they're just like, don't do it. Like we have a system that is perfected. Just don't add anything else into it, right? So that's his whole view. On it. And that's like a lot of the ayahuasca like scene. It's just like, hey, it's just not our thing. So we recommend like just sticking to what we offer. And I respect that, right? Like if someone has a certain lineage or certain way of doing things, I'm like, hey, I didn't come here to try to make the rules. Like I'll follow your guys' rules, right? But then there's also the Santo Daimi mm. who not only say that, you know, uh, yes, cannabis and ayahuasca can go together. They actually say, you can connect with cannabis while you're on ayahuasca, right? Now they don't do it all the time. There's like, you know, uh, a very interesting... Um, kind of like reason why they would do that. And I haven't dove certain like super deep into like the specific reasons why. Um, when I've talked to people that are part of Santa Daimi, they talk about how like, oh yeah, if the situation calls for it, um, someone will connect with cannabis. Now, when I talk to Hamilton, on the other hand, Hamilton has a very different way of working with medicines. He likes combining a lot of them. And that is kind of my style as well. Like, you know, I've definitely done my fair share of combining medicines and just seeing what happens. Um, you know, this isn't like, something I recommend anyone go do. Like Paul Check says, like, until you learn to ride one horse really well, <laughs> don't try riding two because they will split you in half um, for sure. And it definitely, like, as your ego moves more towards the unconscious, more chaos ensues. So when you combine things, things get strange, right? But I've been there, bought the ticket and taken that ride before. And so not with ayahuasca, but with other medicines and things like that. And so Hamilton, he's like, oh man, like when you come down here, we're going to be connecting with cannabis while we're doing ayahuasca. Like I'm going to be showing you like what these things do. Like he's much more aware of like how to work with cannabis, how to work with ayahuasca, how to make sure that they don't become quote unquote jealous of each other. That's like one of the other things that, you know, you hear a lot in the ayahuasca community is, oh, ayahuasca is jealous or cannabis is jealous and they're both feminine and that whole kind of thing. And, you know, one thing I've heard too from a different shaman was that the reason they don't like working with cannabis uh, or having people come in that have recently used cannabis is because cannabis calls on a lot of spirits. And so like, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. Like they're trying to like, 
you know, calling the head spirit of ayahuasca and they got all these little kids running around in there basically, you know? <laughs> and so like, they're kind of like, hey, just leave that out. But Hamilton's whole thing is like, well, you can call in the head spirit of cannabis to come forth. And all of a sudden the mother's like, kids, calm the fuck down. Go to the other room, right? Like, I'm now here. What do you need from me, right? And so, yeah, it's a great question because I think this is one of the common like misconceptions of the world of cannabis and ayahuasca put together. And I had it for a long time of like, oh, they just don't go together. Like it's dangerous almost. And I'm sure it could be if you're not working with someone who knows how to work with both of them. But there are definitely people that not only entertain the idea, but do it while they're on ayahuasca. So it's a very interesting spectrum of polarity to polarity of like, never do it ever. We'd never even recommend that to like, oh, we almost always recommend that. So really interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, that's such a great point because whether it's with a single medicine or combined, at least in my experience, part of it is understanding ourselves first and foremost, but understanding mm. how to navigate that space. And so, mm. and this has just been my preference lately for the last few years. Like there may be a time and a place where I do a dose of something and really go deep. But lately, for the last few years, I've just felt, well, one, the more that I've been able to connect with myself in that space, what I've found is the less medicine that I've needed. And as mm. long as if I can get that breakthrough into that sphere of whatever we want to call it is, I've found my ability to actually work with it where I'm not so blown into the unconscious. It's like, wow, I can really stay with this thread and go deeper and deeper. And I found it, if you want to use the word more productive, that's really been my experience with it. And what what also I recall too is when I was doing, uh, this was when I was doing basic training, not advanced, when I was doing basic training of, of combo, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but it was fascinating because we had a room full of healers. It was like 18 to 20 people for the most part. And one of the guys that I was rooming with, there was a room of like five of us were in this massive house, like right on the border of <laughs> Canada and the US. So it was like fucking beautiful. You flew into Bellingham, oh. nature's like full on. And one of my roommates is uh, an ayahuasca shaman and then also is a tabaquero. So he's a tobacco shaman and has many relationships with tribes down south. And he sources and serves obviously tobacco, but especially rape. So if those who aren't familiar, rape is essentially a tobacco snuff. Typically, the two main ingredients are tobacco, ash, and then depending on the tribe or whatever the intention is, they will use some other medicinal plants or combination of plants to elicit a specific goal, objective experience. And something that he shared with me, I found fascinating. Now, this was via his experience because I had asked him, I was like, why is it that when you look at almost all of these indigenous cultures, tribes that all have their own wisdom traditions and medicine traditions, irregardless, almost to my knowledge, irregardless of the medicine, typically most all of them work with tobacco in addition to it. And what he was explaining through his experience was tobacco is considered a master teacher plant. And so it has the ability to you could, I thought this was really simple to understand. It can has the ability when done with intention and through the space, all that stuff, it has the ability to give the other plants instructions. And so whether it's smoking or vaporizing, whatever we want to say, cannabis and tobacco, or maybe even rape with tobacco, what's been your experience specifically combining in some way, shape or form a blend of tobacco with cannabis? Dude, another really great question. I think we see a trend here, Mike. You got some great questions, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious, bro. I've been, look, I've been looking forward to this podcast for so long, so I'm so excited. 
Oh, dude. I mean, this is another one of the main questions I get. And, you know, because people love spliffs, right? And they wonder why. And I heard two shamans talk about this one time. And they kind of had like, you know, plus and a minus, if you will, like a positive and negative. And I don't mean negative in the sense of like dangerous or anything like that, just like a positive and a negative to combining cannabis with tobacco. Now, I'll kind of say theirs and I'll relate it to my own experience too. It's very similar. And that's why it resonated so much. But basically, what they said is that cannabis, right, it sends you both out and in, right, into the body and then a little bit out, right? So as you're leaving your normal state of consciousness, it, first of all, you can leave your normal state of consciousness, right? You can go too deep, right? Number one, and you may need to come back. Tobacco can be a great way to get your feet back on the ground. The other thing too is like, depending on how deep you want to go, tobacco, if you put it in there right away, can be a good like, kind of like governor, if you will, like on a car, like to make sure you don't go too fast. It can be one of those. Now, in my experience, where I love combining the two, like if I'm doing a ceremony, it's just cannabis, right? If I'm alone, like, you know, uh, things like that, I'm going to I'm gonna be just doing cannabis because I want to go deep and within, right? And I know that like I'm alone. If I need to like, you know, take some deep breaths, it's okay, right? Now, let's say I'm at Paul Check's house, right? And there's like 30 people there. We're at a workshop and people are like, can you make me bags? And they're asking me questions, right? Well, I don't want to go like out and in so much that I become antisocial and dissociated, right? But I do want to be able to like, you know, have the connection, deepening benefits of cannabis, maybe open me up, connect me to other people, share some smoke with people, share some ceremony. So what do you do? You throw a little bit of tobacco in there with it, and that can allow your feet to be on the ground and your head to touch the clouds, right? So then you're able to get what I call ideas, but you're also able to articulate them in a way that makes sense to other people. You're able to remember your thought patterns. Because again, like, when you connect with cannabis, there's different parts of the brain working, right? So people were like, oh, people that use cannabis are dumb. That was another, uh, you know, common myth, right? It's like, no, it's that certain parts of the brain that are really good for normal level thinking and consciousness are now starting to go offline and more creative, intuitive, and like, you know, those kind of parts of the brain are lighting up. And so there's like a fine balance and, and it's different for everyone is what I found. Like, I'm, you know, it's funny. A lot of people think like, oh, Ryan, like you, you could probably do anything high, right? I'm like, no, not at all. <laughs> like, like, and that's why, like, for me, I think like cannabis dependency was never that challenging to beat because it's only for like six hours of my day, maybe that I know cannabis will help me, right? Like for all of things like this, coaching, exercise, like I just like being sober. But when it comes to creating and relaxing at night and really having this overarching, expansive view of like my day and being able to like be present, cannabis does help with that, you know, because as a man, like I'm just go, go, going, right? And so like, you know, again, that can help with that. But that's what I would say overall is, you know, kind of like the plus and potential negative of adding tobacco into it is that it is a master plan. It can definitely help give cannabis instruction so as to not be super strong and allow you to kind of have your cake, eat it too, and make it gluten-free <laughs> with regards to being able to benefit from the um, positive sides of cannabis, connection deepening, inner child access, laughter, um, fun, but also be able to have the awareness to be able to like, you know, hold a conversation, have your words come out right, articulate, etc. And so that's where I really like combining them. But there are certain people that believe it's like a no-no. Um, I just don't believe in that. Like a lot of the cannabis culture in the U.S., is very like, I would never put tobacco in that as they're rolling their blunt. And I'm like, uh, do I tell them or do you tell them? You know, like that's tobacco. <laughs> like you're doing the same thing. It's just a different way of doing it. But the difference is when you're using a blunt wrap, in most cases, those blunt wraps are garbage 
Versus if you like that feeling, right? Just throw a little organic tobacco in there. And now you're getting uh, the same experience, but with a much healthier and higher quality tobacco. Because just like cannabis is being bastardized right now, it happened to tobacco a long time ago. Like Marlboro Reds are not real tobacco. Like that's not what tobacco is. It's never what it was supposed to be. You know, and that's where people have programming with cannabis. They have a lot of programming with tobacco. Like, you know, even I'm sure you feel it too, right? Like if you talk to someone who's also into health and they know you're into health and you mention you use tobacco, they're kind of like, why would you ever do that? Like, they're just like, they're completely awestruck because their propaganda basically states, if you use tobacco, you're going to get cancer and die, right? But it's like, no, that actually didn't start happening until we added all the chemicals into it and all the fucked up shit that's in there. So at the end of the day, cannabis is starting to have a very similar thing happen. Cannabis hypermesis syndrome, these types of things that happen that no one knows why. Well, I mean, and the more quantitative side, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, chemical salts, which is not something being talked about that I think is a much bigger deal than most people make it out to be. But then also the more qualitative things, like what is the energy of the people growing it? They're just growing from greed, et cetera. So that's overall what I see in terms of cannabis, tobacco, and also the similarities between what has happened to tobacco and what I feel is happening to the cannabis right now, which is one of the reasons it's so important for anyone who can to grow your own or at least make sure you're going to dispensaries that are really aware of the power of cannabis that are growing in ways that maybe aren't as cheap to do and they don't have as big of a profit margin, but they're really dedicated to leaving the garden of earth green than when they found it. Because when you're going to a dispensary that grows with chemical salts, realize that somewhere that water they're using has runoff and it's going into a lake or it's going into an ocean or it's doing something that's messing up all the wildlife. And so when you're putting your dollars in there, you're creating karmic debt on you. And I think that's another thing that obviously could be a whole conversation of why a lot of people are feeling very challenged right now in the world because there's more light hitting the planet than ever. And I think people are starting to have to reconcile with the decisions they're making and the, the things they're doing, even if they're unconscious, you know, where they're putting their money, how they're treating other people, et cetera. You know, so I went a little bit of a tangent there, but that's, that's cannabis and tobacco as I see it. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating, bro, and, and makes perfect sense. And it's not the same analogy, but I was just thinking like, why does grandma's food taste so damn good? Two people can make the same fucking dish, but grandma's cooking feels good. And you cannot tell me that love, care, intention put into a meal is not felt. And one of the things that we do at the men's retreat that I lead, we have a sensory experience dinner one night. And we, after the guys are opened up, connected, feeling into their bodies, maybe in ways that they've never felt before in their life, I guide people through a prayer very similar to what you've probably experienced with, with Paul, where we place our hands under our, uh, over our food, we close our eyes, we smell, we connect. And especially in that place when we've slowed down and the lights are dim or the lights are off and we can really connect with the food in front of us, I've almost always felt the tingling or the energy from the food, especially if it's actually vibrant food. And okay. when you're with these medicines, it has the ability to make you so much more sensitive, perceptive to what's happening inside, and then a felt sense of the people and the things, objects, food, whatever in front of you. And when I eat grandma's food, man, does it feel good. And I can feel that life. And I do want to make a transition though, because I do think it would be super important for you to share on, you know, dosing is such an important thing to at least touch on because that mm. can has the potential to make or break an experience. And you, you discuss beautifully how it's grown, the intentionality. But what is the difference in like 
Do you have any insight? I know, I'm sure this is a common question you get, but giving mm-hmm. people some guidance around dosage and how flour might be different than, let's just say, an edible. Yeah, this is a great question. And what I'll say real quick too is, you know, uh, going on your last point, like I think this is one of the big challenges happening in the world right now is there are those of us that have faith that the unseen realms are truly there, right? So things like intention, love, things like that, that you can't really easily see or measure. We have faith they exist and we've had experiences that have reinforced those beliefs in us, right? But then other people are coming from a scientific reductionist mindset of like, oh, uh, the, the, the quality of the energy or the, the, the energy that grew it, like that makes no sense, right? So what I always say to these people is like, okay, yeah, I get it because you can't see a measure, right? Yeah, it's complete bullshit. Okay, cool. So do you love someone in your life? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Do you love two people in your life? Well, yeah. All right, how many units of love do you have for the first person versus person B, right? Well, that's silly. I could never figure that out. Oh, but you still know and agree that you love them, Right. Yes. Okay. So you just showed that there's something you can't tangibly measure that still exists, right? And so like, I think that's one of the big challenges in the world right now. And that's what psychedelics can really help with is they can give someone the experience of like, oh, I really don't know what I don't know. And even science says we only see 4% of visible reality. So science, the same thing people are discrediting things like intentional love by saying, right, is also saying that 96% of what we know to be there is completely invisible to us in our sober state of reality. So I wanted to throw that in there, you know, but when it comes to dosing, I'll start with the difference between flour and edibles, because this is something that people get wrong a lot. And I witnessed it happen all the time in the dispensary. And I would try my hardest to make sure people knew, but they would still touch that hot stove a lot. So when it comes to flour and edibles, right? Like the main active uh, intoxicating component of all cannabis is Delta 9 THC, right? So you'll see all these different products popping up, Delta 8, Delta 9, THCO, THCA, et cetera. We can get into that if you want, but I'll leave that uh, for right now. But Delta 9, THC is, is the commonly associated intoxicating component of cannabis, right? But depending on how you interact with it, it gets processed differently in the body. So when you're inhaling cannabis, it comes on much quicker, right? And it stays Delta 9, THC. You connect with cannabis. It turns actually, sorry, I should get into this first. When you go through a process that's called decarboxylation, which is like if you take a nug and you just eat it, right? It's not going to do anything to you. Mm. Versus if you take a nug and smoke it, it's going to get you very medicated. Why? Well, because in the acid form, THCA, that is not intoxicating. It has its different medicinal benefits, right? You can juice cannabis and get pure THCA. But when it comes to getting intoxicated and feeling that effect from cannabis, there needs to be a molecular change done by either heat and or oxygen. So aka lighting it, uh, vaporizing it, or if you take a nug and leave it out on the counter for a long time, it can not only change THCA into Delta 9 THC, but it can also then degrade Delta 9 THC into CBN, which I won't get super deep into. It doesn't matter for this conversation. But basically, when you are connecting with cannabis, right, you are either eating uh, an edible or you're smoking a joint or something like that, right? So in both cases, if you're an edible, if you're eating an edible, it has gone through a decarboxylation process in the baking process, right? So now it's all Delta 9 THC. In the inhaling process, you're using some type of heat to then convert that from THCA into Delta 9 THC. But the difference is from there, everything changes. When you inhale it, it stays Delta 9 THC. It's fast onset, quicker to leave. Most people know what that feels like, right? When it comes to edibles, on the other hand, something really interesting happens. Because 
your edible is more often than not being uh, uh, digested completely uh, and metabolized by your liver. Now, some people might argue and say, oh, little parts of that are absorbing sublingually through your mucous membrane. Sure, but we're just going to keep generalizations for this conversation and not confuse people, right? So when you eat an edible, your liver actually metabolizes delta-9-THC into a totally different cannabinoid called 11-hydroxy-THC, which the important thing to remember about this is it's one to seven times more intoxicating. So what that translates to is someone who maybe is an everyday smoker then thinks they can do a 100 milligram edible because they have a tolerance, but it doesn't translate that way. Now, the other thing that throws a monkey wrench into this is that there are people that are what's known as fast metabolizers of delta-9-THC. And for these individuals, they may actually be able to eat a 100 milligram edible even if they have no tolerance and not really feel anything from it. Versus the people that are slower metabolizers of delta-9-THC, such as me, they can eat a two and a half milligram edible and feel like a nice buzz, right? That for years before I knew this, would eat a 50 to 75 milligram edible and have an ordeal instead of an experience and be like, I don't know what happened, right? And so like, these are some of the things to be aware of. So when it comes to dosing, the other component of this is that all of our endocannabinoid systems, which is the system that regulates our endocannabinoids and also like uh, creates homeostasis in our body. It's the largest regulatory system in our body and the only one with two-way communication between mind and body. All of our endocannabinoid systems are set up a little bit differently. We have different uh, concentrations of CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors. And uh, like I already illustrated, our livers are different when it comes to metabolization. So what I tell everyone is, there is going to be a little bit of trial and error in the beginning. Now, you can get really crafty if you want and do an epigenetic test with someone like my buddy Len May through, I believe his company is EndoHealth USA. Shameless plug, use code HIGHLY at checkout to save 10%. But uh, you can use something like that. And that will give you like, it will tell you if you're a slower, fast metabolizer. It will tell you if you have genetics that are going to make you predisposed to schizophrenia or addiction or things like that, right? So you have more awareness. But let's say you're not going to do that. What I always recommend is with flour, go for something that's not 30% THC, right? Even start with hemp. If you're a new user, try hemp flour first. First of all, if you're in the US, you can ship it legally anywhere you want in the world, right? And it gives you a beautiful effect. And for certain people that don't want the high, it is the perfect equation because it relaxes the body. It can illuminate some self-awareness, but you're still completely coherent, right? So that's where I would start, you know, just to like, again, mitigate harm, Less is more, that kind of stuff, right? If you do discern that you want to interact with Delta 9 THC, try something in the 10 to 20% range, which, you know, any can of sore out there would probably laugh at, but I actually think is one of the greatest ranges ever because just the same, I'm not a drinker, but, you know, if I wanted to drink, it doesn't mean I'm going to go for moonshine every time just because it's stronger. <laughs> like that ideology is just silly. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I there's, I, you know, again, if you just want to get fucked up from cannabis, sure, go for the high percent. And I personally think that's one of the biggest reasons why this percent's getting cranked. People think it's because they want the higher numbers. No, it's because they're in more discomfort and they're looking to numb it out. And Delta 9 THC is a dissociate, you know? So, you know, again, when you're looking into lower strength strains, it allows you to still talk and have fun and be able to like, you know, actually articulate your ideas you're getting and these kind of things. So if you want to move on from hemp, try something in the 10 to 20% range and try like one hit. Wait 15 minutes, right? See how you feel. Keep a grow journal or a, sorry, a diary, right? Like a, uh, a diary of your sessions with cannabis. Talk about what you used, what time of day, um, how it affected you, what your intention was, how did it play out, right? Start treating this like a science experiment and you will start seeing that like 
again, your relationship with cannabis, right? As you're putting more into it, you get more out of it because the plant goes, oh, you're one of those that like actually is aware of what I do and you like really want to learn? Okay, cool. We'll go there. Most of the people that use me don't even have an idea. They're using me, right? They have no idea of what I do, right? So I don't really show myself to them, you know? And, and there are a lot of shamans that talk about this with cannabis, how it's a very shy spirit and it doesn't just give you its full power right away. You got to kind of work, right? It's just like a lot of women, right? Like if you're a man and you like a woman, She's not like, yeah, move in. Like, I don't even know who you are. I just make you the bar, move in. She's like, no, nah, I'm going to vet you first to make sure you're safe, you know? And so I think about a lot of the same things with cannabis, you know? And so when it comes to dosing, you can do that if you're going to inhale, right? Either start with hemp or just start with one hit of something lower than 30%. And if you're going to do an edible, start at two and a half milligrams. And for anyone listening who's a cannabis user, you might laugh at that. But like, I'm telling you, and working with over 5,000 people in the dispensary, there were so many people that came in that we used to start. We used to think a starting dose was 10, 10 milligrams. And I would like laugh in my head, like who wouldn't feel that, right? Until I started taking my weekly breaks and started realizing, oh my God, two and a half milligrams actually does hit me really well. And we would find people that would eat that 10 milligram and come in like, dude, that was a terrible experience for me. That was like way too strong. And so again, like this is where a lot of the science has not yet really been available widely for people. And so hopefully someone listening can either understand this for themselves or articulate it to their aunt or, fa or father or mother or, you know, insert family member here that wants to try cannabis, you know, and be able to allow them to not have to go through a lot of the challenges that people like you and I have gone through just like field testing this stuff in real time, you know? So that's what I would say when it comes to dosing is, you know, look into what titration amount you like and always start low and slow. You can always add more, but it's really hard to subtract once you've already gone there. There are ways, but you know, it's easier to just add more in later. That sure. may be one of the most valuable insight. And there's so much that you dropped today. But, you know, of all the medicines that I've worked with, some of my worst experiences or most challenging have been with cannabis and less is more, especially as you're first navigating this space. And, you know, in these final minute or two, I definitely want to touch on, because so many people use it recreationally, mindlessly, abusing it, all that sort of stuff. So what guidance, and I want you to just briefly with this last minute or two, can you share your program connecting with cannabis? What was your mission for it? And give people an outline of what they can expect if they really want to heal with cannabis and reestablish a new relationship with this powerful, powerful plant? You know, again, like there was a lot of things like I didn't go out to, to start a cannabis program. I actually had a lot of anxiety around it for a long time. I thought it was like one of those things. I'm like, I don't want to be known as the cannabis guy. But then it just kept happening where like, you know, first people started asking me to host ceremonies. I'm like, okay, started doing that. And then Paul was the big one. I started giving my flower to Paul out of his workshops and he was like, dude, you got to do something with this. Like, I've never tried anything like this before. And that was like a kind of a call forward. And then I, I hosted a men's retreat on Martha's Vineyard. And with all the men there, they had already experienced like my original ceremony, uh, the one that I talked about, the listening uh, module. And so I tried something new, like five minutes before a high idea popped through this idea of a conversation with cannabis, right? Tried it out with the men. They loved it. They were like, what else you got? And I was like, okay. So this is in May of 2021. Me and Alex got back and we were like, all right what if we're meant to make a cannabis program? And all of a sudden, the whole thing just got downloaded into me. I was drinking cacao on my deck, walking back and forth, just sharing with Alex. And he was writing everything down as I was saying. We built the entire program like that. And then we like, oh, the outline, if you will. And then we spent about two or three months building it out. Then we got Freedom Builders to build it. And then it was a thing. But the cool thing is, 
And over the last couple of years, I've realized a lot of stuff. And now what we offer is kind of an amalgamation of everything, dude. And I'm really excited to show this with you too, because it's super cool. Um, you know, I was finding that really what a lot of people thought they were getting into this for, which is like, oh, I want to create a healthy relationship with cannabis. I'm like, no, no, no. Like a healthy relationship with cannabis is just the entry point, right? It's what that allows you to do, right? It's what that allows you to become. Because when you have a healthy relationship with cannabis, you now are in like a spiritual aid and ally type situation. Where now when you're in a community like we have now with the Conscious Cannabis Collective, which I'll tell you, I'll tell you about in a second, you know, it's like, not only are you able to learn how to connect with the plant and get ideas, but you also have community to support you in taking action on those things and being held accountable so that your entire life can transform, so that your health can transform, you can have, your wealth can transform, right? Your relationships grow deeper, all of these kind of things, and you're able to self-actualize. And that's really what we're doing with this is we're using and connecting with cannabis as a spiritual aid and ally to create self-realization. You know, and so in the collective, we have not only connect with cannabis, but we have grow with cannabis, which is everything you need to learn to be able to grow the highest quality cannabis using living soil, Korean natural farming and biogeometry. And then we also have our, our certification program, Coach with Cannabis, which is like for those of you out there that want to add the skill set of conscious cannabis to your toolkit. Because like what I talk about with everyone is if you're a coach, facilitator, et cetera, out there, how do you know if your client's relationship to cannabis isn't hindering the work you're doing together if you don't understand what like dependent patterns look like, what escapism looks like with the plant versus tuning in, things like that. And so then we also have seven calls every week people can hop on. We have guest presenters coming through every week. We've had Hamilton come through, Mark wow. come through. We've had human design workshops. We've had all these things. So they're really like, it's become this hub for everything that is resonant with connecting with cannabis to illuminate a higher quality experience of life and then having the support to not only reach those goals, but celebrate the wins along the way. So that's what I'm so excited about, man. We formed it a couple of months ago, brought all the courses together we've been doing for the last couple of years. It's amazing, dude. We got about 70 people in there all around the world, Australia, Hungary, Belgium, South America, all over the place. It's been amazing, dude. So that's what we're doing and I'm so fired up about it. <laughs> Bro, bad fucking ass. I'm so, every time we hop on, man, or get to connect in person, I can feel your passion. You're incredibly well-versed in this plant on all aspects. So just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, where can people find out more about it? And then I know you've got a call in a few minutes. So I want to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, dude, no worries. So uh, people can find me on Instagram at the real Ryan Sprague. Uh, my last name is S-P-R-A-G-U-E. Reach out, guys. DM me if you got questions, you got curiosities, right? Like, this is what I love more than anything. You are not annoying me. Like, I love talking. Mike can attest to this. That's why I have two <laughs> podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, so reach out, ask me questions. I know this might be the first time you're hearing cannabis in this way. And cannabis is not for everyone, right? So let's have a conversation around whether or not it's right for you at this time in your life. And then also, you can find me on my one podcast that I have going right now. I have the Highly Optimized Podcast, too, which has got a great... Um, archive. Mike's in there as well. Definitely check that out. But the current podcast I'm running is this one time on psychedelics. Um, and like the name states, it's not only about people's psychedelic experiences, but also the psychedelic nature of reality and how 
connecting with psychedelics has opened up this psychedelic reality to the people that have been able to benefit from those experiences. So you can find me there. You can find all the info at highlyoptimized.me about the course and everything. And Mike, such a pleasure, man. Always dropping in with you. I love it so much, man. And thank you for everyone tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for charging our batteries. Hopefully we charge yours back. And uh, as always, may the force be with you, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. 